Hey guys, this is Erin from Roadrun Blonde, and I wanted to tell you about a new feature on ACAST that supports its artists. It's the supporter feature. Listeners to Roadrun Blonde can now donate and support the podcast. However, there's no subscription or commitment. You can just give whenever or whatever you'd like. It's completely up to you. Just find the support the show link in the show description on any episode. You can use Apple Pay or Google Pay, and it takes less than 30 seconds. You can donate anonymously, or you can add a message that I can see. As a podcaster, everything comes directly out of my pocket. I don't get paid to podcast. It's just my passion. So anything is appreciated to keep the show going. Thank you so much, guys. And now on to the show. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to Red Rum Blonde. This is a true crime podcast. Each week, I'll explore a case, the victims, the facts, and the mystery surrounding it. Some are solved, some remain unsolved. I'm your host, Aaron Fleming. I'm one of those people that love Halloween. I mean, there's horror movies playing all month on TV, plus a ton of haunted house shows. It is really the best. I'm pretty lazy and I usually don't decorate, but I love those houses that are all decked out. I think I love Halloween more than Christmas. So this month, I wanted to do episodes kind of in the creepy vein. But before I get into that, first let's get into some business. If you like the podcast, please join the Red Run Blonde Facebook group. I just want to say hello to new members, Amanda and Wendy Wu. And on that group, I post the question of what fans of the show should be called. You know, My Favorite Murder has Murderinos. California Dreaming has Dreamers. So I got idea in my head, what should we be called? There were quite a few votes for Blondies. So... 
I guess blondies it is. If you have a better suggestion, let me know. But I kind of I kind of dig the blondies one. I listened to a lot of podcasts and this past few weeks I found some new ones that I like. I highly recommend Life After Link. It's a really heartbreaking mother's story of losing her little baby to abuse of her boyfriend. It's really well done. It will definitely tear your heart out, but it is so worth the listen. Another one that I got turned on to is the Abercast. Justin from Mysterious Circumstances recommended it. And if you're into metaphysical conspiracies, things like that, definitely give this one a try. This host is full of crazy knowledge, and I've been binging on all the older episodes this week. And if you need a break from all the stressful things in the world, have an audiobook to recommend. It's called The Greatest Love Story Ever Told. It's Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally. She's Karen from Will and Grace, and he's Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. They're a real-life couple. They've been together for, I think, almost 20 years. This is their love story, and it is great. They both have some of the best voices out there, so it works probably better as an audiobook than anything else. But of course, there's a hardcover book, and there's a puzzle. A puzzle. It's so great. I'm also reading Anna Ferris's book, Unqualified, which I find equally hilarious. I really love her. I love her podcast. You know, a lot of times you just need to step away from all the stressful things in life and you just need to get a good laugh. So if you have some good suggestions, give me yours. Now let's get into this week's episode. I've always been fascinated by the idea of curses. And I can't say for sure that I totally believe in them, but I never try to chance fate. Not even just necessarily curses, but any kind of bad luck. I think we all throw salt over our shoulder if we spill some, or we fret when we break a mirror. I once dated a Russian guy, and he was even more superstitious than me. I don't know if that's the case with all Russians, but he was crazy superstitious. Trouble with him was he never knew all the details to the superstitions, like, oh, if you drop silverware... If you drop a fork, that's bad luck, or a spoon is good luck. Oh, I, I can't really remember, he would say. <laughs> and there was one about if you meet an old woman carrying a bucket, that's, that's bad luck. You know, it was crazy stuff. Anyways, <laughs> curses themselves are very interesting. I remember doing a school report in the third grade on King Tut's curse. That, to me, was totally fascinating. I mean, all these people open his tomb, and then they start dying off one by one. Honestly, people die, and if you start keeping track of enough of them in conjunction with one event, you're bound to start thinking that there's a curse. I mean, that's what the rational side of me tells myself. But what if there is such a thing as a curse? And it really got me wondering, are there any curses in true crime? So I did a search... And I came upon this week's subject. Want to say there is a trigger warning. I will be discussing sexual assault. I got a ton of my research from an article on denofgeek.com. And also there's an ID channel show called The Village of the Damned. So let's get into it. 
The town of Dryden, New York has a reputation for being cursed. This started in 1989 with a family massacre. And then following that, there were a string of bad events that led those in Dryden and those outside of the town to feel that it was cursed. In fact, it's been dubbed the Village of the Damned. Pretty intense. But is there any legitimacy to this? This week, I'll explore the Village of the Damned, Dryden, New York. Dryden is in Tompkins County, New York, and that's in the Finger Lakes region. It's named so for how the lakes looked like fingers to early map makers. The town has been around since the late 1700s. The land was given to soldiers of the American Revolution as part of compensation for fighting. And oddly, it's named after English poet John Dryden, who has nothing to do with the area. It's pretty close to Ithaca, New York, which is the more metropolitan of the two. And the population runs around 14,000, so it's a very quaint little town. A totally unsuspecting place for what was to come. The terror began in Christmas time of 1989 with the murder of the Harris family. Parents Tony and Dolores were found dead, along with their children, Mark, who was 11, and Shelby, who was 15. And this was the first, but not certainly the last tragedy to befall this small town. So what happened to the Harris family on December 23, 1989? Apparently, a neighbor heard the family's alarm going off and notified police. An officer was dispatched to the home, and that was State Trooper John Bino. He was one of the first on the scene. Upon entering the home, he said he could smell gasoline. He went to the kitchen, and he discovered the phone wires were pulled out of the wall, and that's when he knew something was amiss. When he opened the door to the master bedroom, that's where he discovered a charred body. And this would just be the first grisly discovery, not the last. The entire family was dead. The Harrises lived in a place called Ellis Hollow, which was an affluent section of Dryden. And it was, you know, just one of those places that did not experience crime. One of those places where, you know, you hate to hear it, but people don't lock their doors. One resident recalls the worst event being a car accident before all these murders took place. The family moved in 1986 when Father Tony Harris, who was 40, got a job as a sales director at a Syracuse electronic distributor. They moved into a home built by wife Dolores' father. Dolores, or Dodie as she was known, was one of those mothers who loved to do things like bake and craft. She even opened a little country store named the Gray Goose beside the family home. You know, they were just your typical close-knit family. Not people you would ever guess would become murder victims. The charred body belonged to 15-year-old Shelby. She'd been shot in the head and was sexually assaulted before being set on fire. Her hands and feet had been bound. And in another room, the rest of the family was found. Just like Shelby, they too had been bound and shot in the head and then attempted to be set on fire. It's believed the murders occurred between 6 and 10 p.m. 
The family was bound, their head covered with pillowcases, and then they were shot in the head with a small caliber weapon. Robbery is thought to be the motive. You have to think it's right before Christmas, and Dodie's shop is only 50 yards from the home, so it would make sense. An unknown black male was seen riding a bicycle on Ellis Road shortly before nightfall on December 22nd, causing some to think that he may have been involved or at least be a witness. On the day the bodies were found, the family's stolen credit cards were used to buy clothing, electronics, and other items in Syracuse and nearby Auburn. A tip led police to Michael Kinge and his mother, Shirley. Now, Shirley admitted to using the stolen credit cards to buy Christmas presents, but she denied having anything to do with the murders. Michael, who was also known as Michael Turner, he had a very long criminal history of theft. Michael and his mother matched sketches of suspects who had used the stolen credit cards. So police went to Michael's home. The 33-year-old was killed in a shootout with police. His 54-year-old mother was charged with second-degree murder, arson, and possession of stolen property. Supposedly, Michael was sitting on the bed with a gun at his chin, and then when officers entered the room, he fired at them. They returned fire, killing him. Later on, Shirley's fingerprints were found on a gas can that was found at the Harris home to set the fire. So, case closed, right? At Shirley's trial, New York State Trooper David Harding testified to finding her fingerprint on that gas can. That, with the evidence of using the credit cards, pretty much sealed her fate. In 1990, she was sentenced to 18 to 44 years in prison. But you know what? It turns out that fingerprint evidence was falsified. Two years later, the Justice Department investigated the case further, finding that Harding and another officer admitted to planting the fingerprint evidence. Harding had gotten Shirley's fingerprints from the restaurant where she worked. Can you believe this? Harding boasted about planting the evidence during a job interview for the CIA. Five investigators were also implicated and charged with evidence tampering. Basically, these guys just wanted to say they solved the case, and they framed Shirley and her son. I mean, no one would doubt the evidence. Think about it. She had already admitted to using the credit cards. And now you throw in black upon white crime aspect, and it's a done deal. Shirley filed and won a $250,000 lawsuit against the state troopers. Eventually, she left the area and moved to Atlanta, never forgetting the injustice. She died in 2015. It's still believed that Michael committed the murders without any help from his mother. So the next tragedy to be associated with the area occurred in 1990 with the disappearance of two-year-old Eliza Mae Bush. Her mother, 24-year-old Christine, went out for a walk with a family dog and her little daughter. When they returned, she said she left Eliza in the living room while she went to the bathroom. She claimed that when she came out, the front door was wide open and the baby was gone. A frantic search ensued, accumulating over 400 volunteers. 
and then Christine received one of Eliza's pink mittens in the mail. So authorities assumed that they were now looking at a kidnapping. After the baby's body was found in a wooded area about a half mile from her home, it was now a homicide. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. But speculation quickly turned to Christine when it was discovered that she had purchased an envelope very similar to the one mailed containing that mitten. Then another witness came forward saying she had seen the mother putting something in a mailbox around that same time. And even though Christine passed two lie detector tests, investigators still kept that pressure on. She eventually admitted to mailing that mitten to stop the search for the body. She confessed to burying the little girl. Christine claimed to have found the baby dead in her crib. And fearing that no one would believe her story, she concocted the abduction. After finding Eliza dead, Christine said she dressed her baby wrapped her in garbage bags, and buried her under the brush. She then faked the disappearance. But in reality, it appears that she suffocated the toddler. And she was found guilty of second-degree manslaughter. Jurors said that they thought it was more of a reckless act rather than a deliberate murder. Like the Harris murders, I really couldn't find out a true motive in this killing. I don't know why she killed her baby. And that bothers me. I mean, that's something I always want to know, the why. It's frustrating to not know. Three years later, another tragedy would occur. Kirsten Clark witnessed the brutal murder of her friend, Scott Hume, at the hands of Paul Jackson. And this was on August 14th of 1993. The 26-year-old was stabbed to death in an apartment shared by Kirsten and her friend, Colleen. Colleen was dating Paul, but having a side affair with Scott. 
After finding out about the relationship, Paul took a very downward spiral, which was fueled by drugs and alcohol. He just could not get over what happened. The day of the murder, while driving past Colleen's apartment, he saw Scott's truck parked in the lot. In a rage, he grabbed a knife and he headed to the door. When he walked inside, Scott told him to leave. Paul stabbed him in the chest, all the while Kirsten looked on. Paul Jackson was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Now the sleepy town was labeled as cursed. But in 2014, he was released. He'd served his time and they let him go. He now has a wife and child and appears to be a changed man if that's possible. It's of little comfort to Kirsten, who witnessed her friend's death at the hands of this man. I mean, she can never forgive him. It only took a year before that supposed curse struck again. Dryden football coach Stephen Starr was shot to death trying to protect his daughter from a former boyfriend who was stalking her. It was just five days after Christmas. The boyfriend, J.P. Merchant, was upset ever since their breakup. Amber Starr, who was a senior in high school, told Merchant, a 19-year-old student in college, that she wanted to end their relationship. So for the next three months, he tried to resurrect their relationship, all the while progressively getting more aggressive. He would call the house incessantly, as well as try to find Amber wherever she was. It got to the point where JP was arrested for aggravated harassment. On December 30th, 1994, Merchant shot the lock off the front door of the Star home. He went into the house, held a shotgun to Amber, and threatened to kill her. Her father rushed to her defense, and he was then shot by Merchant. He fled to a nearby cemetery where there he shot and killed himself. Next on the curse list, not a murder, but an awful car accident killing high school senior Scott Pace. Pace was the unofficial leader of the high school football team. He was handsome and super popular, and his death crushed the students of the school. And unbelievably, his older brother Billy had been killed in a car accident just the year before. In September of 1996, Robert Bergman, who was a supervisor at Stafford Chevrolet, was shot and killed by his employee, Ed Bailey Sr. To round out the tragedies in October of that same year, 16-year-old cheerleaders Sarah Haney and Jennifer Baldock disappeared. These two girls were part of the Dryden High School cheering squad, along with Amber and Tiffany Starr, daughters of the slain coach. You have to know, in towns like Dryden, which is really small, being a cheerleader is a huge deal. Small towns are pretty much obsessed with high school football. This cheerleading team that they were part of had won their region's cheerleading championship 12 years in a row. Jen, who was 16, was the tall track star of the school. She was described as funny and goofy. Sarah, who was also 16, was also on the track team and was described as an absolute stunner. So these girls were very popular and very well-loved. They were staying together in the Haney house while the family was out of town in Maine for a four-day vacation. 
Inside the house were signs of a struggle. The shower curtain had been pulled down and the soap dish was broken off from the wall. The family's missing Chevy Lumina was found in a parking lot about seven miles from the home. Inside the trunk, investigators found blood mud and a diamond pattern fingerprint suggesting that they were abducted and the abductor wore gloves. So quickly, investigators turned their focus on the next door neighbor. Now it was 31-year-old John Andrews because while he was stationed in the Air Force in Germany, he had attacked a couple of young women while wearing a ski mask and gloves. He was dishonorably discharged and sent to Leavenworth. After his release, he and his wife purchased a house beside the Haney's. Obviously, he became a prime suspect. So while everyone is searching for the missing girls, a woman comes forward with some vital information. Anne Ehrlichsben hears about the disappearance of the girls. A friend of Anne's and her fiancé, Bruno, had gone to stay at a cabin that they owned together in the woods. Upon entering the cabin, the friend, Marcus Hutchin, notices an odd puddle on the floor. So after shining a flashlight on it, he determines that it's a puddle of blood. He calls Anne and Bruno, and they rush to the cabin to see for themselves, and indeed it is blood. They contact state trooper barracks in Norwich. Upon arriving, those state troopers call in troopers from Cortland. So those state troopers ask the trio if they know anyone who might know the missing girls that would have been in the cabin. And Anne says, yes, her brother, guess who it is, John Andrews. Anne said the state trooper flew past her so fast that he almost knocked her down. She knew in her gut that her brother had done something horrible. John Andrews was charged with kidnapping. It wasn't long, though, before the remains of the girls were found. They had been dismembered, and their body parts spread over two counties. Now John was charged with murder. Police picked him up at work, where he was a computer lathe operator. After the arrest, he refused to give details of his crime. He hung himself in his jail cell with his shoelaces before his trial even began. There is speculation that he had intended only to attack Sarah and was surprised to find Jen was there too. In 1985, his own father was accused of sexually molesting some young girls, and he also killed himself. So who knows what went on in this household? Obviously, something to cause his son to become the way that he became, too. Believe the town is cursed now? I'm starting to wonder myself. Sadly, the death of these two cheerleaders wasn't the last horrendous event to trouble the area. In 1999, former cheerleader Katie Savino perished in a car accident. I mean, seriously, if this were an episode of Supernatural... Sam and Dean would be trying to find out who cursed the high school football team and the cheerleaders. It's really bizarre. It's almost more than just a string of bad luck. So when the Investigative Discovery Channel decided to film a series on the town called Village of the Damned, residents weren't exactly thrilled. In fact, a petition was circulated to try to stop the filming. It seems the townspeople just want to forget the misfortunes and they felt that the series would exploit the town. 
I mean, I fully understand that. Personally, I would probably get the heck out of Dodge if I lived there. I'm way too superstitious. The mayor, Randy Sterling, was quoted as saying, The people who are still here that are affected by that, their families and their extended families want to leave it in the past. It's a wound that has healed, and this is like tearing the scab off. He also claims that the episodes aren't too accurate. I will say that I had a hell of a time finding information on every one of the incidents that occurred. I like to have a lot of details to add in the podcast, and they just weren't there. So it's hard for an outsider to know if the show is accurate or not. The series really didn't provide much information either. But I didn't watch every episode. That was the village of the damned Dryden, New York. I have to admit that there might have been something to a curse. That's just a hell of a lot of bad luck. On the other hand, I'm sure every town out there has its share of bad incidents, even small towns. I'm from a pretty small town in West Virginia. If you listed all the car accidents, murders, suicides, and deaths, we would probably sound cursed too. But you know what? Tell me what you think. Tell me if you think there was a curse. So find me, as I mentioned before. Uh, there's a Red Run Blonde Facebook group. The podcast is also on Twitter. My handle is at Blonde Red Rum. I'm also on Instagram. If you want to find some sweet merch, check out tpublic.com. There's some really cool t-shirts, stickers, mugs, bags, whatever you can think of. Thank you so much for listening and catch you guys next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.